bringing together the brightest minds to help you build a better business model. Welcome to Cannabis Business Minds, presented by liveadvisors.com, only on cannabisradio.com. Here are your hosts, Simone Samalukaradzins and Kristen Yoder. Today's episode is just me and Simone chatting, and we came up with the idea for this episode because it is a seriously reoccurring thing, and it's also like something nobody knows about, and we're here to dispel the myth. Take the white elephant and really Cut it into pieces. No, I'm kidding. That sounds so bad. I'm a vegetarian. (laughs) I would never do that, but anyways, so... What is the biggest myth in the cannabis industry? Take a second and think about this. What do you think it is? Close your eyes. Think about it. Okay. We've thought about it. Now, what is the biggest myth? The biggest myth in the cannabis industry is that nobody's making money. Or that everybody's rich. And we're going to break that down because nobody's making money. I, I got to tell you, like, we are not rich. Okay, let's be honest. Like, we are not rich. No. We struggle. Everyone struggles. Every single... I mean, we talk to a ton of people as consultants, now advisors, education, throwing events, whatever. I don't even... I mean, maybe I know, like, five people off the top of my head that make a ton of money, and I know thousands of people that do not make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. This is a huge misconception. Like, oh, you're in the cannabis industry. Like, oh, rolling in the dough. Look, man, it is a profitable industry, but not for everyone. Well, and I think there's a difference between cash and profit, and that is a huge thing. I mean, you get you get paid in cash. You have a lot of cash balances, but do you have? net income. What is your net income? I mean, this is the misconception. It's like, we get paid all the time, right? But then you have these costs and you have startup costs. Yeah, they're called bills, right? They're called expenses. Someone once asked me, how do you make a million dollars in the cannabis industry? You start out with $3 million. That's how you do it because you're going to pay so much. I think the can- for everything. Absolutely. And I think the cannabis industry is very unique because we've got these two different, almost like personas coming in, right? We've got the existing operators that have been doing this for 20 plus years that are now coming to light that have probably not paid taxes and really want to pay taxes. So they're used to a certain amount of income that they have not probably been paying taxes on, right? And they don't know the compliance costs. They don't know how, like what it is to build a brand, all those type of costs. Then we've got these people, investors, uh, people from corporate America that killed it in their job. Marketing, branding expert, operations expert, finance expert, all of a sudden, they come and they're like, I want to start my own cannabis business. They don't know how to run a business. Or investors, for example. Oh, my God. Talk about the most impatient people with the most unrealistic expectations. I have ever heard, no offense, investors, but you know it's true. Every time, they're like, I want to set up a 100,000-foot grow facility. How can, how soon can you get it done? Do you think you could get it done in three months? No, man. No way. Like, you want to know what's the regulatory atmosphere wherever you are? Um, especially in California. We don't know, man. No one knows. We can't tell you just because you have a million dollars what's going to happen. We can lie to you. Okay, A, 
who makes a ton of money? Liars. <laughs> Liars <laughs> make true. a ton of money. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you anything you want to hear. And if you, as an investor, someone looking to get into the industry, find one of these people who thinks or says they can do whatever you need. Or do it all. Or do it all. Run away, man. Run away. And, like, check. Dude, you know what? Google search every single person you're about to work with because surprisingly no one does. And it's not hard to find dirt on bad people. No, absolutely. And so, I mean, yes. Like, okay, I'm sorry. That was like a, a side thing. But we get hit up by investors all the time. And in California, look, man, if it was a safe bet, don't you think people would have already come into California and capitalized on it? It's not safe. There are risks. And therein lies the expense part. Mm -hmm. It's the risk. Mitigating risk. How do you do that? With a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Lawyers make a ton of money. They don't count in this one unless they're like a good lawyer. I think good, I th like good in their heart. Lawyer. I think that we have to break it down like this. So we already know that there's like these two different diver like convergence going on. We've got old school cannabis, new school cannabis. New school cannabis is focused on, hey, this is a hot industry. I want to get in it. How can I make it? I think I'm going to make a million dollars in six months. We've got old school cannabis that's like, hey, shit, I'm, so, excuse my language. Hey, I'm so excited to be, you know, Finally, Finally, we don't have to be afraid of getting arrested. Yes, like I can actually do what I've been wanting to do legally. And boom, how do those two mix? And this is what we are experiencing right now in the cannabis industry where sometimes we see a grower with an investor or sometimes we see, um, you know, somebody great in marketing helping somebody that is really needing it, that has been doing it all the way underground, right? And so the point is this. We're going to right now cover who's making money in the industry really and why they're making money and then we're going to go down by sector and we're going to explain the costs that are related to doing business in the industry and why a lot of people might not be making money. Might no, they're not making a lot of money. Look, it's any, because it's a startup industry. I think. I think it's because it's a federally illegal industry and it's in the most turbulent regulatory atmosphere out there. It doesn't matter if you've been in Colorado and they've been regulated for so long. Things change. Regulations are flexible. They Regulations are not flexible. Regulators have to be flexible because when they make a bad regulation and then it stops up the entire industry, they have to change it. Yep. If they have a lot of issues, they have to change it. If they realize that they didn't include something, they have to change it. So not only mm -hmm. is it federally illegal, so you're going to have to have a good lawyer. Yep. But you're also at the whim of regulators that don't know anything about the industry. Yep. That is expensive. Right? And so basically, imagine you're a cannabis operator. Let's just, like, give an example. You're like, okay, under, let's forget where you came from, but you're starting right now. Definitely you need a lawyer. You need a lawyer because you need to be protected criminally. You need a business lawyer to help you make sure that you've done your entities and all your structuring. You should have an IP lawyer to protect your branding. We know you can't trademark at a federal level, but, but you can, you can at, at a state, state level. level. Yeah. Jinx. <laughs> um, what other kind of lawyer? Employment lawyer? Oh, man. You know, when an industry becomes legitimate, at least within a state... You need to start acting like a real employer mm -hmm. because now is the time when you could get sued. Like HR, that actually means something, mm -hmm. especially for people coming from traditional industry, every other industry basically, that expect you to have some sort of HR system in place, you yeah. know? You need to actually follow HR laws. Yep. Giving warnings. Like, totally. you can't just fire people at will unless you're in California. And you can't do 1099s that are 
employees. I mean, mm-hmm. there's tons, tons of ramifications for that. Yeah. Okay, so that's the lawyers. Who else is making money? Real estate agents. My God. And landlords. Like, yeah, and landlords. Mm-hmm. At the dispensary I managed for five years, um, there's this thing, if you come to L.A., you'll hear pre-ICO dispensary. ICO stands for Interim Control Ordinance. And in L.A., there in 2005, there's like 10 dispensaries. In 2006, 500 dispensaries. By 2007, 1,000 dispensaries. So they came up with the Interim Control Ordinance because they're like, no more. We mm-hmm. have to stop this now. So our landlord... I mean, before this happened, because they had all of these different special use cases where you had to be a thousand feet from churches, from schools, Mm -hmm. from rehab centers, from other dispensaries. That's so hard to do in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. We just happen to be in the perfect spot. Well, unfortunately, the landlord found that out. Obviously, we can't go anywhere else because that's where we are, and it's perfect. We want to be there grandfathered in. Rent went from seventeen hundred a month to seven thousand a month. Wow! Plus an ounce, plus an ounce every month. You know what? Yeah, dude, he wasn't the greatest person. Well, under the new California race, he would be considered like an an owner. Yeah. Ooh. You know, even worse, I man. Know. But look, when you've got these special use permits. That you have, I mean, that makes some property very valuable. Yeah. So who's getting the money there? Landlords, real estate agents. Yeah. I also think people that are assisting with applications, right? And compliance. Compliance. Applications and compliance. But I even think the compliance right now, because it's still so new, they're not making as much money as people think. But I think that those consultants that are, you know, assisting in a grow. I think consultants that are assisting in revenue generating activities, such as I can increase your yields. I can increase your, um, I can teach you a new extraction methodology. I can um, build your sales by X amount. Like, Rev, like so revenue generating activities that consultants perform are definitely people where they're making money. Yes. I would say yes. And having been operations consultants, mm-hmm. ain't no money in that, yo. Why? Cuz people don't even know what that means, okay? And let's be honest, operations has an indirect effect on your profit, on your revenue. How do you even come up with how much money you're going to be saving them by mm-hmm. fixing their opera? It's almost what is it's unquantifiable. Of, it's super unquantifiable. I mean, like, I didn't go to that class in school, so I don't know how to come up with this without all of these other numbers and everything like that, but... And what Kristen's explaining is when you are pitching, so if anyone's listening and they're like, wait, wait, I'm kind of confused. Wait, what are these ladies talking about? We're talking about... The biggest myth in the cannabis industry is that a lot of people are not making money. And what she was talking about just now is that when you position yourself as, you know, a professional or in your business, you always want to give a value proposition to a customer or a client. You want to explain like, hey, you know what, like by hiring me, I'm going to save you this amount or by hiring me, I'm going to increase X amount. That's called your value proposition, why somebody is hiring you, right? And so indirectly, we already know lawyers, that's a value. They're not going to, they're not going to go to prison. They're going to make sure that they're compliant, right? People that are providing application support, well, that's a very, very value-added service, right? They're going to get an application so they can exist legally. Yes. Who else is making money? I think that really, and again, those are 
categories of people that are making money? These are ancillary. Ancillary businesses. Ancillary service providers. Yes. But I would like to note one thing is that a lot of times people don't realize, and this is what I was trying to get at at the very beginning, is that you might have been excellent at one thing that you did. For example, I've helped operations all around the world. I do not sell. And I think that a lot of people who are ancillary providers that might be like, well, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I'm not making that much money. Or I do compliance. Or I could help with an application. I'm not making that much money. One thing is you might not be selling your service correctly, right? Yeah, you really have to market. Yep. Market, 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 brand, brand, brand. Look, that's what we're saying. You start with $3 million. Yes. You That's need... how you get a million. You you spend two billion. Yeah, two million. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the point is, being a startup is difficult, and the cannabis industry in itself is a startup industry. Even the operators that have been there for 20 years, now they're like in this new thing, this new industry that really, to me, has gained the significant momentum. And you've been in it but for it 11 years. But it has no years. infrastructure. No infrastructure whatsoever. No established infrastructure. And it's different from city to city and state to state. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're going to pay so much money to get started, and you're going to come across so many charlatans. Those people can cost you a lot more than they charge you in the first place. Oh, yeah. There's, like, a saying that's, like, free work will end up costing you more in the end. Or, or you should like always hire somebody that's an expert at something instead of trying to either do it on your own or hiring somebody that's, like, just Yeah, cheap. but the expert could be... Like a thief. Well, yeah. And so this is interesting. Let's take a little sidebar on this. If you're listening and you're like, okay, I'm going to need help. I need to hire um, hire a consultant or I need to do something. We're going to tell you when we get back um, from this break how you can go do that. Time for us to do some sponsor business. More Cannabis Business Minds when we return. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber Vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Great minds think alike because they listen to Cannabis Business Minds. Presented by LiveAdvisors.com, only on CannabisRadio.com. 
All right, so this is Simone and Kristen, and we are listening to Cannabis Business Mind. So right now, we are going to give you guys some very important advice that I tell clients, uh, that I advise clients on, uh, that sh- you should really take uh, when you're hiring somebody. And we've said it in so many podcasts. Do your due diligence. When you're hiring somebody that is going to help you in your business, whether it's a potential vendor, which is a potential strategic partner, go do some homework. I mean, a lot, a lot of homework. Like there's no more important homework that you can do than when you're putting the profitability and the sustainability of your company into someone else's hands. Yeah, exactly. So like if you are going and you're starting a business and you're like, okay, you've already, A, you decided to start a business, so you therefore have invested your time and your energy to make something that you believe will be profitable. And that's a whole other podcast of like, how do you really build out a business plan? We have a course on that. Um, But what you want to do is you want to like take that step back and understand, okay, I need to find a lawyer. I need to find a consultant. I, you first need to do your own needs analysis, right? What do you really need to make your business successful? And then once you do that, you just, if somebody gives you the best deal or the best idea, do some vetting. Like I, for myself, whenever we bring on somebody, I'm like, okay, send me a proposal. If they don't send me a proposal, I know that they're not legit. I know that, not that they're not legit, but they might be too busy. You know, this makes me It's kind of a catch-22 because it's like Groupon. Oh, my God. I've made the mistake, like, multiple times to get my hair cut from, like, a Groupon or something. And then, like, it is butchered. Okay, the sad part about this is I'm a licensed hairdresser. So I'm, like, super guilty and, like, I deserve a bad haircut for trying to be cheap in the first place. But... If they're giving out deals, is it because they're desperate? Are they desperate because they're not good? Or... Mm -hmm. Are they really good and they suck at self-promotion and they're putting out a discount to get some actual business? Like, I think that that's you, a tough one. I don't think so because I think that if you're if you're strategic and maybe you're a good seller, you realize that that first sale to that customer might be just you might have to take a loss, but you realize that the lifetime value of that customer is forty thousand dollars, or maybe it's not even the lifetime. Maybe that's the whole year. You could get forty thousand dollars from that one client, so maybe they're offering a discount to get in. But my point is, if you're hiring a professional or something like that, a you need to paper up everything mm-hmm. because we. I mean, lawsuits are you know. I'm surprised they're, I wanted to say they're rampant. They're not, but they will be, right? Mm-hmm. So paper up everything so you would anticipate that if you're dealing with someone, you would see some form of a contract or a proposal. Read the contract completely. Mm-hmm. Shoot, have another lawyer read the con- Like, seriously, do your due diligence. We cannot say it enough. Yes. You really need to do that. So do the due diligence, but how else can they do the due diligence? You know, I think another way is ask other successful people for referrals. Yes, the referral network is I mean, referrals are so important because then you have a track record on these people. You can actually talk to people that can vouch for this person. You could even ask the lawyer, whoever, for some of his clients that you could talk to if possible so that you can find out from other people, like... I mean, look, 
jobs don't hire you without checking your recommendations. Exactly. Why so would you why, do that? Yeah, when, I mean, you're literally putting your life in the hands of a lot of professionals because you work with someone dirty, they get in trouble with the police, all of a sudden you're implicated somehow. You just don't know. Yeah, you just need to, like, cover your ass all the time. CYA. Yes. What's your, okay, I'll tell you my favorite, and then I want to know yours. So my favorite question that I ask somebody if I want to work with them is do you have the capacity? Dude, that's a very good question. And, and I mean, I'm going to elaborate and I'll, I'll give it to you. It's that really, do you have the capacity to take me on? And what is that going to be? Because remember, like if you are in the position to be hiring somebody to help your business, which if you're listening to a business owner, you'd always be in that position. Nobody can do anything, everything is that you really want to know that if you decide to work with a person, A, you like them, you vetted them, you checked out their references, but are they going to be able to provide that value to you because they are able to? Do they have the time? Yes. And that's the proposal trick, actually, I usually I usually use. I'm like, oh, send me a proposal. You'd be surprised. I actually did that for, like, four vendors. I have not received any proposals. It was a month ago. That makes I'm like, sense. I'm like, well, I can't. I mean, it doesn't to me, but. See, to me, like, I hate proposals, man. They're so hard to write. Like, if you don't write proposals, it's not necessarily a problem because. Or, or like. But a, it depends what kind of position. Like, do you have people that could write it for you? Like, if you cannot come up with a proposal, then you do not have the time or the bandwidth because you should have someone writing your proposals. Yeah. Like, yeah, hello. Exactly. What would be your question? What sign are you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I that's think, for business partners. Yeah, yeah. No, that's for everyone. Yeah. Okay, especially <laughs> boyfriends. But anyways, and roommates. Okay, sidebar that one. Um, I think my question is, what successes have you achieved? Like, Obviously, if you have them, you can talk about them. Yeah. What have you done? How can that's on the research side? Maybe not even like on the referral side, but it's like, look, if you have a proven track record of yep. what you do, I'm gonna feel a hell of a lot safer. Yep. And I get it. Everyone starts out sometime, but I don't really know if I'm the type of person that wants to take a risk on you. Well, and for all those people who are like, oh my God, Christian. Which is another reason why y'all are not going to make any money when you get into this industry. Yeah. Because you don't have a track record. Well, and so how do you get a track record? And somebody once told us this is sometimes you have to do a little bit of work for free, right? And so let's say that you have this grandiose solution that you can solve somebody's social media problems in the cannabis industry, right? And for somebody to buy into that, you might need to buy a reference. And what that means is... Why don't you offer that one service for free or do a little teaser or do something that is small. For their logo. Yeah. For their backing. Yeah. And companies would, look, man, if it's free, why wouldn't you take that on? Find the company you're super impressed with that you want to work with and pitch it. Mm -hmm. No, a no answer is not going to change a damn thing in your life. exactly. At all. Exactly. You can only win, really. And I know it's painful, but... You're not going to be rich when you first start out. Like, no one, nobody is. That's why big, big companies do multiple rounds of fundraising. I think that you have to realize that if you have grandiose dreams of, you know, multi-million dollar success, we advise people on this all the time. It's like, you need to stop and think about this. It's like, is this realistic? Like, can you really do it? And if so, how? I mean, really, what Kristen's saying is absolutely true is... For your first few periods, I mean, 
if you're starting out something new or even if you have already been operating just a cash flow positive um, and have a reserve to ensure that you have you're covered in case of some liability that might arise it's fundamental well and that goes back to a business plan yep look Hey, you can't get capital without a business plan. To all my cannabis people that are like, I don't need a business plan because mm-hmm. I've got a great idea. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, you do. You really do. If you want, A, to know what you're going to be doing, you really need to think it out. A business plan is not fun, but it's so important to really, you know, working out your idea, your mission statement, and your projections, man. Yes. You need to know what are your startup costs going to be and what is your product and are you going to make enough money to balance one out from the other and how much money do you need quarter one, quarter two? Like what, how much money do you need to raise to actually pay yourself? Exactly. I don't know a lot of people that think about that stuff. And, and they should be. And I think that one thing that I'm trying to promote with this new course that we're launching is that... If you're a business owner, you don't really want to go hire somebody to do the business plan for you. Because it's your business. Exactly. Like, you need to be working directly with them to figure it out. I can't believe how many business plans I've written where the owners don't even care. And I'm like, I don't know if you're going to be successful because we should be doing this together. I can give you a strategy. Well, no one knows. No one knows about your idea, your vision like you. Yeah. And look, if you don't have time to work on a business plan, you're going to fail. I guarantee it. Unless you have a ton of money. And then you're probably going to fail anyways. Because for my thing, dude, it's all about the mission statement. Mm -hmm. Like, we did that event, and I had spoken at it about Mm -hmm. one of the most important things that a company needs to have is a mission statement. Because in in the cannabis industry, it's so easy to get distracted by shiny things where it's mm-hmm. like, well, maybe we can do this or maybe we can do this or this isn't working out. We should do this. Your mission statement will define. It's your backbone. I mean, this is what guides you all the time, all the way through. Whenever you have a question, you look at your mission. Does it line up with your mission or does it not? You know, what is your mission? What are your values? Do your employees know what the mission is? Because if not, man, you've got problems. Yeah. No, absolutely. From the bottom up. And so this is interesting because we mentioned that we're a, nobody's making a lot of money in the cannabis industry. It's a startup industry. But I also think it's a very fast-paced industry where a lot of people aren't thinking about these things, right? And They get caught up in the idea. They get caught up and then maybe they're... The misconception. Yeah, and they are not doing their accounting. They're seeing cash. I had one... um, one client that thought they had $100,000 in, or excuse me, the balance sheet had $100,000. They had no cash, right? I mean, so there is something where you really, if you, you know, money and dollars and physical cash in your hands doesn't mean that you're being profitable, right? And so let's break it down um, right now. We're going to take a break and then we're going to break it down by sector. Why and how these companies in each of the aspects of the supply chain are making money or they're not making money. Time for us to do some sponsor business. More Cannabis Business Minds when we return.
This is Bobby Black, host of Blazin, here to talk to you about 420 Science. I've known Matt and Gary from 420 Science for over a decade. We've spent a lot of time together at the Cannabis Cups in Amsterdam, the Doobie Awards in their hometown of Austin. They were even at my wedding. And I've always admired their integrity and how they've built 420 Science from the ground up to become the most trusted online head shop. Visit 420science.com slash podcast for an exclusive deal on pipes and more from genuine people who put their customers first. That's 420science.com slash podcast. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Great minds think alike because they listen to Cannabis Business Minds. Presented by LiveAdvisors.com, only on CannabisRadio.com. Okay, so before we went to break, we were going to talk about what sectors kill it, what sectors do not. And this is important for anyone wanting to get in the cannabis industry, any investors looking to invest in the cannabis industry. So many investors are going after huge cultivation mm-hmm. facilities. Okay, so number one, people not making money. That's cultivators. Yep. They, those poor people. The bottom of the supply chain. Literally and figuratively, my heart goes out to y'all because you're at the whim of every chain above you, every single step. You are, I mean, you can try and sell your flour to an extract company. Mm Mm-hmm. And they will shove the prices down. They will take from you. They don't even care. Like, this is not about morality or ethics this is about money mm-hmm. you know so as the grower everyone when you're the seller of everything and everyone else is your customer and this is not an established commodity rate pricing or anything like that mm-hmm. you get screwed so easily i mean it costs so much money to grow and the more people that grow the less money you're going to make until yeah, and I mean the capex expenditures for like an indoor grow on a large scale are ridiculously expensive. Especially we're talk, we're labor. You will labor and even just the capex to outfit the building and whatnot and the rent and all of that. So like if you're growing and if you are basically thinking about entering into a large scale grow, a I mean you've got crazy capex, HVAC, lights. I mean just to get the facility in tip top shape. We're talking multi millions. We're talking upwards of. 10 million, you know, I mean, for a very large scale facility. And you're not going to see that return for quite some time because the price of cannabis is decreasing, everybody. Yeah, every day, every day, every grow that opens. Yep. And I, I mean, there are definitely people. And so that, so we know already that your revenue 
if you are just doing cannabis is going to decrease over five years, right? So that means your cost should not increase. So then how do you become more efficient? Because employees are very important to your company. They are the life of your company. The more labor, the more labor, the more problems. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. it's called automation and renewable energy. Yeah. But that's all we're going to tell you for free. No, yes. I'm just kidding. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of, so that's the cultivation aspect. Manufacturing. We break manufacturing down into how I always do it, and I feel like you do it too. Are you doing infused products, meaning edibles, or are you doing concentrates, wax, shatter, all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And and body stuff. And body stuff. Oh, yeah. and tinctures and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So anything that left the cannabis plant got anything translated. Anything that is not the cannabis plant but has cannabis in it. Exactly. Is some form of a manufacturing, right? What do you think? 280E. You know, like 280E, for everyone who doesn't know, is a punitive tax rate that basically all of your business expenses are not tax deductible. And that's like everything except for your cost of goods. Those are tax deductible, but your advertising, your labor, your everything, except for what goes into your product, it's not tax deductible. Yeah. As someone who's written the book on 280E. And I have a course. And I have a course. And we even have a course that, you know... The ROI is extremely important with the course because just take, what, how long is it? A couple hours? A couple hours, and I've saved companies over $12 million by planning correctly. Yeah, that's a ton of money you could be losing. And you know what? Like, nobody knows what 280E is. And that's crazy. So, I mean, so manufacturers, they have 280E because they are building a brand. Yes. And building a brand is expensive, and it's non-deductible, right? I mean, your entire sales department that's not deductible. Yeah. That's insane because without a sales department, like, you're not going to sell right. anything. You need your sales reps, your inside sales. You know, yeah. you need to do your demos. You need to go to events. You need to sponsor things. None of that is tax deductible. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? Can no, any so normal business owner imagine that? No, because marketing is, like, at the heart of building that's your business. That's the key. Your brand is, is your, your success. Yeah. Um, So they're really not making much money because think about it. They're spending all their time. So they have to lab test everything. They have to manufacture. They have great margins. So, I mean, their gross margin is excellent. But then their SG&A, selling general and administrative costs, which is what Kristen mentioned, sales, marketing, uh, paying payroll, paying the lawyers who make a lot of money, but then the Mm -hmm. manufacturers are paying the lawyers. All those costs, you know, if it's in one business entity, those are non-deductible, right? So they're not really making so much money. No. Wholesale distribution? I'm not. I mean, honestly, again, when it comes to, well, it depends on what state, actually, when Mm -hmm. it comes to distributors. Mm -hmm. Do they have to do the lab testing? No, a lot of them don't. Okay, so then, yes, distribution is good. It's about overhead. Mm-hmm. So you know, so all they overhead. need is Automation. a warehouse. Mm-hmm. So, which is holding inventory, which is uh, indirect costs. So that's good. Yeah. So I mean, that's better. And they don't have to spend so much time marketing because a distri- and it's so funny. Actually, don't- distributors don't need to market at all. Exactly. Because they- they're just the warehouse that, like, they're just going to move your product for you. But that's on you as the manufacturer or the grower, whoever, mm-hmm. to do all of your own marketing. Yeah. You know, which is, awesome. I mean, there, are, I think there are a couple distributors that will do that for you, mm-hmm. but that's going to cut into your margin. Yeah. Even and there's, I mean, there definitely are ways around it, but overall there are strategies for 2AD, but in the end, like it just is very costly, but yeah, distrib- distribution, wholesale, 
they ha they charge a markup, so then they have their gross margin, which is actually relatively low. And then they've got inventory management and all that stuff. And if they don't have to spend so much marketing, it's not that bad. But again, they're not making so much money. Retail. Retail <gasps> is the most profitable part of the industry. A, because they will tell you how much they'll pay for it. <laughs> you yeah. don't really get to be like, no, it's 60 flat. Okay, well, we can get it for 50 from someone else. Yeah. So screw you. Truly, they are the end-all, be-all besides... I mean, in the canvas industry, well, yeah, not including ancillary no, services. No, I'm telling you. So, I mean, they do have to pay the sales tax. Well, so they, so, okay. Oh, and all those other guys have to pay excise tax, right? So in California, cultivators have to pay excise tax. They have to pay a gross percentage of their receipts. Um, I mean, Washington's a little bit different. But so retailers, yeah. So then they have to collect the sales tax or the excise tax from the customer. So then they have to decide, do we put that burden on the customer? And then exactly. they might go to another dispensary or retailer that's not. And I mean, then they have city tax. City tax. And then they've got 280E. Yeah. I mean, so basically, there to me, honestly, it's super hard. But they, they are, but that's money. also why they charge more. Exactly. Or they they make people charge less to them. So, I mean, that's why growers get it the worst. They do, because they're the very bottom of because the Because a lot of wholesaler, or I mean, a lot of manufacturers will be like, we don't want our products sold for more than this much. Mm -hmm. So we'll sell it to you at half the price. And you can mark it up 100% margins, and we're good. But it's not like they can keep going down. I mean, look, re manufacturers don't have flexible pricing. Mm -mm. No. No. You I know? mean, they can kind of command with their brand, right? So the bigger the brand is, the more that they can say, hey, this is why we think the consumer is going to be, you know, really paying for this. And if they're a top shelf whatever, then perhaps they can command a little bit more. But overall, I, can I mean, you, you know, because you did the At dispensary. my dispensary, we would have someone come in with some really beautiful outdoor. Mm -hmm. Let's just say hypothetically for $1,000, which is crazy. Yeah. It was not 1000 back then. But anyways, then you ask someone come in with some good indoor. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, well, I just got this stuff for a thousand dollars a pound. Like, mm -hmm. how much do you want? And they're like, I want two thousand. It's like, look, dude, we could sell this a thousand dollar stuff for the same price as yours, except we're gonna make way more money on it. Yeah. What are they gonna do? Like, a lot of the in California, a lot of brokers are the ones that handle selling the flour. Dude, you don't want to go to a thousand dispensaries to get paid no. what you came down for. If you're a broker, you added a broker fee, right? So more than likely, you're not even going to get paid by the time you can offload it, especially if you don't even have connections in these dispensaries. Good luck talking to the purchasing person at yeah. these dispensaries. I don't know what it's like in other states, but it's, I mean, it's I, brutal, it is brutal in California to bring in your flour and try to sell it. Even your concentrates... Yeah. Even concentrates, I think edibles are different, but even with the concentrates, they can be like, yo, your shatter is insanely expensive. Yeah. We can get it from this dude who uses, like, the worst kind of BHO or whatever. Look, they don't care about quality. They care about prices. Not all, but yeah, a lot of a, a Well, large dispensary portion. owners mm -hmm. care about profit. Yeah. That's what they care about. I mean, yeah, sure, there, are, the some there are exceptions. There are, there are definitely exceptions yeah. to the rules. 
But, but in general, I agree with you. But I mean, they have so much taxes to pay. Anyways, they need to cover their costs. I know. So, so I guess, but okay. So if you're in Canada, you obviously don't have this issue because you don't have 280E. If you're vertically integrated, meaning you own multiple licenses where you're able to grow, manufacture, and then sell, like in Colorado, wow, you're definitely much more profitable. So much more profitable. The less hands in the pot. Exactly. Literally. And what's so funny to me, because I'm all about disrupting. I'm all, I mean, that's how companies make that's how you move mountains is disrupting. And I already know how to disrupt this supply chain, but it's impossible with regulation. Mm-hmm. Because really what should happen in a perfect model is that you're a grower, you get a license, whatever. You're a manufacturer, you get a license. You are just those two things, or you're a processor, whatever, right? And then in a perfect world, and maybe this is in like 20 years, you have one body that checks all that stuff out. You know, quality control, all that stuff. And then you allow it to be delivered to the end consumer because then you talk to the consumer you get them to command that and the dispensaries go away i mean in the end to me the the, the bottleneck and all of this that really is charging all these crazy prices is because they have to go through um the dispensary huh? right like think about it that way am i missing it like i mean that won't happen because regulation not right now but to me that's wait the model. wouldn't that be the third party distribution model isn't that what alcohol people do? Well, I'm curious. I mean, this is like thinking way far in advance. Because I'm like, like you blow no, my mind. No, I'm talking Shopify. I'm talking you go onto Simone and Kristen's website and we sell the most amazing products and we validate everything and then we get it delivered through a mm, transportation system. Drop ship. Yes. Perfect. Right? And so totally to me, that is the model. But one other thing that I just realized we didn't talk about, lab testing and, and the labs. A lot of people don't want to go in business into the labs. I mean, look, I'm no expert, and I know labs have a crazy amount of just keeping their machines calibrated. Yeah. God, if your machine, your LCMS, or whatever you use breaks down, Mm -hmm. like, you got issues, man. You can't do anything. You can't get anything from it. If you're a lab that charges reasonable prices but doesn't lie and give Mm -hmm. good results to people, you're going to lose business, you know? So I think there's... It can go either way yep. because you can make a ton of money as a lab and you could also lose a ton of money as a good lab, you know? Yeah. It just, I guess, how it's managed, but they don't have 280. It's about competition. It's about, yeah. I mean, it's about competition. And like, honestly, so I've done some financials for labs. It's the capacity issue. Like if you invest in all these machines, how long does it take to load those machines? How long does, yeah, it's actually a lot of manpower. And then the machines run, right, to do the actual testing. But I think they actually have better margins than a lot of people. I but always the thought, dude, it's all about the labs. I much prefer a lab because, oh, my God, the data makes my mouth drool, man. <laughs> just to think, No, for real. I just know. to think of, oh, my God, the, the terpene profiles that you could collect over the years. Yeah. And, psh, God, oh, my God. I think that's going to be, though, I mean, it would be smart if people started getting more into that because there's so much bottleneck, actually, in Oregon because there wasn't enough labs. And even in California, this was happening right before the High Times Cup a few months ago. But the state limits the amount of labs that can open. Mm Mm-hmm. So. That's the truth. Yeah. So then, I mean, to wrap it up, because we're actually almost done for this episode, is being in cannabis is not your golden ticket it's not your golden ticket it is it's possible oh 100 percent, it's possible but don't count on it 
but you shouldn't count on any, like you should go into business because you have a good idea and you're solving a problem and the money will come, right? And, and unfortunately, due to the strict regulations and it being federally illegal, helping a lot of patients and providing them medicine and providing cool products that are awesome that I love to enjoy as an adult user, it's hard because of the regulations. Yeah, so just be prepared to pay a lot of money and don't expect to get super wealthy. You know, it just... Not right away. No, man. Not, not, not right away. First and you know what? Years of Even operations. always, dude, wealthy, that's that's a hard one. Not a, not very many companies reach wealthy. They may make a lot of money, but it comes at a cost, obviously. Mm-hmm. So exactly what you said, do what you love. Do something that will help people. And make some money off of it. Yes. But just do it with a good heart and a good mind and not just profit-based. No. People plan on profit. Yeah. Profit last. I said that. People plan. Yeah. I know. I'm reiterating. Oh, Oh, yeah. Like, for sure. I mean, dude, we want to make money. Don't get us wrong. Like, we want a ball. Who doesn't want a ball? But, I mean, don't sell out and don't expect it and you might be surprised. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Cannabis Business Minds. And check us out on our Facebook uh, group, Cannabis Business Minds. And check us out on Cannabis Radio because we're on there now. Yeah, because we're awesome. And we love you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Cannabis Business Minds. You can download episodes of our program by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and very soon on iHeartRadio. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.